Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people, praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. This morning, as it is Palm Sunday, there are many places in the Gospels we could go to to read through the Gospel narratives, Matthew 21, um, other places. We read the Mark passage this morning, Luke 19, we could also go there, but I'm not going to take time. I think we read the narrative, if you're listening online, you you don't get the narrative, look it up. We've read it this morning, so we understand the narrative of Jesus entering Jerusalem, them singing out, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna. Praise to God in the highest. Praise to God in the highest. And so on this day, we celebrate Palm Sunday, is this monumental event in the life of Jesus. His entrance into Jerusalem, the city of David. But we don't really get the significance of this event without just a little bit of background into what's going on, the history of this city itself. I said this is, this is his entrance into Jerusalem, the city of David. This is the capital city where, where David, King David, a man with special promises from God, rules from. And we know this is a special city because Scripture tells us. Passages like um, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 36, and it's a prophecy from Ahijah to uh, Rehoboam or to Jeroboam about the splitting of the nation. That's what happens. So under, after Solomon is king, there's going to be this split of the nation. And Ahijah prophesies to Jeroboam about this separation. And he says these words. He says, yet to his son, and this, he's talking about Solomon, David's son. Yet to his son, I will give one tribe. That David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And likewise in 1 Kings 14, verse 21, speaking about the, the reign of Rehoboam, this, this first king, uh, that he says he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Jerusalem is where they build the temple. Right now, at this time of the reign, Solomon has not built, Solomon has built this temple. 
in Jerusalem. This is the city of David. And so with all the history and promise concerning this city, it's where the presence of God lives in this temple. With all the promise and history of this city, any entrance of a historical figure brings a lot of excitement to it. We have Jehu in Scripture. We also have in the book of First Maccabees, which is uh, not in our Bibles, but if you read a history book, First Maccabees speaks of the entrance of these people into the city of God, into Jerusalem. And they, a couple of times with Jehu and the story of the guy um, uh, in First in Maccabees, his name is escaping me, they lay down the palm branches for them to walk over. So on a natural level, it's understandable and right that as Jesus, this recognized prophet, this amazing figure in history, enters into Jerusalem, they'd be excited about it. He is entering to bring liberation. Now, they have in mind, as we know, if you've studied Palm Sunday and the entrance of Jesus, they have in mind a different liberation from the Roman occupation and whatever, but he really is coming to bring liberation. It's a liberation different than what they expected, but it certainly is a liberation. He is coming to bring a much bigger liberation than they ever imagined. Not just liberation for the Jewish people, but liberation for all the nations. That Jesus is bringing a global liberation. So, he, the people begin to sing these praises. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Praise the Lord in the heights. And all of these calls, all of these things they're shouting out are actually scriptural psalms. They, they aren't just making things up on the spot. These people knew their Bibles. They know what's going on. And they begin to sing praises. Some of it comes from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which says, Save us, we see if this sounds familiar. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's one place they quote from. And the other one is Psalm 148 that we read this morning, where we hear this praise him in the heights, that God would be praised in the heights. So this morning, as we focus a little bit just on Psalm 148, we see this all-consuming necessity of praising God put on full display in Psalm 148. How are we to praise God? I mean, we're not just, you know, a, a PGA golf has started back up. My Twitter feed is full of golf uh, clips, you know, and boy, there's, there's things to get excited about. You know, that you can watch all sorts of events going on in the world around us. March Madness is going on, I've heard. And so there's lots of college basketball to watch. And there's all kinds of things to get excited about, right? And so is, is praise to God like that kind of praise? Something to, when the season rolls around, to get excited about. Psalm 148 puts on display what kind of praise does God deserve? God deserves all-consuming praise. Praise. God is deserving of our unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. He is deserving of our unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. 
unadulterated in that he gets it and nobody else does. We all know what adultery is, right? It's when one who has promised to be your one and only, you go and have another one and only. Unadulterated praise, God is deserving of unadulterated praise. He alone is the one who gets the praise. He's deserving of unadulterated praise in that it belongs to him alone and no one else. He's deserving of our unreserved praise in that there is no governor, no, no limiter on the praise that he, we, he receives. It isn't like if we, we can praise on a scale of 1 to 10 and we think, well, let's give God a 6 today. You know, I don't want to give all, you know, let's, I'm going to save 4 for a few other, you know, some of my praise for something else. God is deserving of unadulterated and unreserved praise. It's all His and there's no reservation to it. It shouldn't be... God, you're, you're worth quite a bit, but not everything. Yeah, it's unreserved praise. And he is deserving of all-consuming praise in that there's no area of your life that shouldn't praise him fully. He's deserving of praise as he is alone, unadulterated, unreserved, to the max, and in every area to the max. Unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. And that's what we see in Psalm 148. I mean, you just you go through this list and there isn't an area of the universe that isn't called to praise God. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, angels and all His hosts. The supernatural beings called to praise Him. Praise Him, sun, moon, all the shining stars, all the highest heavens, everything called to praise God. Let them praise the name of the Lord. He commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord. So we go from the highest heights. Praise the Lord in the earth. Sea creatures, all deeps. Fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. The weather is supposed to praise and does call out praise for His name. Mountains and hills, fruit trees, cedars, beasts, all livestock, creeping things, flying birds. Nothing escapes this command to praise. Unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise deserving to go to God. And then it gets to us. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. The whole spectrum. No matter if they're kings ruling over entire peoples or if they're just small children, not even ruling over their own lives, they are called to praise His name. This is what we were made for, to praise His name. To praise the Lord in the heights. And if he's praised in the heights, it's understood that if you're praised on the highest level, every level leading up to it, he is to be praised. He is to be praised. Westminster Shorter Catechism frames its whole identity around this reality. Ask this question, what's the chief end of man? The answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Those two things put together. To glorify God, to praise Him, to lift up His name, and to enjoy Him together. Which makes us then ask this question, why? Okay, so I'm supposed to, and we see from Psalm 148, I'm, I should praise the Lord. He should be praised in the heights. He should have all this praise. But why? Why does God, I mean, are we just supposed to just, okay, clinically, I'm going to turn my praise meter to all unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise to God. There, we're done. Let's go. Is there any content? I, 
to, to why this praise is deserved to God. And so I got three reasons this morning kind of coming out of Colossians 1. It was weird as I was thinking through Psalm 148. I thought, oh, we could go to Colossians 1 and was kind of tinking around thinking about that. And then I came up and looked at the bulletin and saw that we were due to read Colossians 1, where I was thinking about using in the sermon this morning. I'm like, okay, I think that settles it. We're going to go to Colossians 1 and look at these three reasons why he is deserving of all of our praise. But we're going to get there from Psalm 148.5. First reason God deserves all your praise, he created everything that is. I mean, you can't, you can't look around at anything or with anything, the very eyeballs with which you would look around at anything that you can see were given to you by God. The fingers by which you would feel anything to know that God gave you this, the very fingers you would feel with and the nerve endings in it and the synapses in your brain that help you feel things, all given to you by God. He created everything. Let them praise the name of the Lord, verse 5 says, for He commanded... And they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Light, oxygen, matter, heat, blood, water, literally everything that is, you owe to God. It is gift. We did not say, this is what I deserve, this is what I should get. God, I want this, I want that. You don't have the brain to think about what you want to have if God hadn't given you the brain with which to think. You owe everything to God. The cushion that you sit on in this pew is held together, not because you will it to be held together, but God in His providence allows matter to cling together. And that atoms that are full of, actually full of space, <laughs> hold together such that you can sit on it and not fall through the floor and then fall to nowhere, into nothingness. God holds all of this together. God is the creator. He is owed praise because everything is a gift from God. And because of that, and that alone, he deserves our unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise because nothing that is, is if God hasn't made it so. Which brings us to our first problem because we don't praise God like we should. God is deserving of this unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise just simply for the fact He made everything. And we do not praise Him as we should. And don't pretend that you do. I know you want to sit here and say, oh, Darren, <laughs> here he goes again. Uh, you don't. That you do not thank God for every single insignificant thing that comes across in your life. You don't. And not only that, not only do you not... Um, not thanking for the small and insignificant ways. I mean, did anybody come here and use the bathroom this morning and thank God we have running water? That such a thing as clean water even exists? That water exists? Probably didn't. And unreserved, unadulterated, all-consuming praise. And so there's small and insignificant ways you don't, but tragically, in thousands of really big ways, we don't, we don't give God the praise that He deserves. We have failed to give our Creator the glory He's deserved. It also, this is an important point, this is not some innocent oversight on our part. As though, well, yeah, I went in the back, I just forgot. Okay, well, so we can, let's put all those insignificant things off to the side. But the reality is, we have neglected to give God the glory because deep down, 
in our sinful selves, we do not think God deserves it. We do not think God deserves it. You do not praise God for your breath because we sit here and we think we're the ones breathing it. We do not, we do not praise God when, when we, for our spouse that we've obtained on, because we think that we've done something that has merited love, that we have, we have earned this person to love us, though it seems like if the marriage goes wrong or things go wrong where people are usually very glad to blame God for things going wrong. We don't thank God when anything would ever go right in those relationships. We don't thank God for the money that sits in our bank accounts and puts food on our tables because arrogantly we think we've done those things. We've earned it. We, with our brain power, we have taught, we have learned, we have pursued this avenue, we have gained, we have done all of these things. We think we've grown our brains. We think we've climbed the ladder of success on our own effort. And we think we are getting what we deserve. And in short, we don't thank God because in a very real way, we think we are. Humanity walks around thinking We are God. We have done it. The reason why praise for the true God doesn't exist is because multitudes are out praising their God, which is themselves. And God is not pleased with this reality. Every absence of thankfulness to the true God for the gifts that He gives is either one little chop mark or one big swing at the throne of God and attempt to take Him from it. I was not given this by God. I have done this myself. Therefore, God is not needed in my life. I am all I need. It is an usurping. It is a rebellion. When we talk about thankfulness, that's what we're talking about, is a rebellion against this God who has given every good gift to those who have anything. It is because God has given it. Every every neglect to thank Him is in one very real sense an attempt to say, I do not need God. I have what I need in myself. These are acts of rebellion and are therefore deserving of God's judgment. God deserves unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise, and He doesn't get it from us. So, (laughs) I I started this out saying how you you should. Why should we praise God? And then I went there. So, well, great, Darren. I I don't do it. I'm not going to do it. But it brings us to the second reason, okay? brings us to the second reason. God created everything and He deserves it, which presents a problem because we don't praise Him with the unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. That's a problem. Second reason, going on to Colossians. I said we were going to get there and I didn't even turn to it yet. Back in Colossians, the second reason why God is deserving of all of our praise, not only is He the creator of all things, He is the redeemer of all things. He has a creation that has rebelled. He has a creation that does not give him unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. And what does he do in response to that? What should he do? You know, just think for a second. What, what, could, what would all the just things that he could have done, what could those things have been? All the just responses he could have had to a creation that he freely gave everything and they rebelled and said, we don't want you, we want our own way. What could have God justly done He could have wiped it all out. And what does he do? He sends a redeemer. Not only does he create all things, God is deserving of all of our praise because he creates all things. God deserves our praise because he redeems. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, verse 19, For in him, that being Jesus, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, being Jesus, to reconcile to himself, back to God, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, how? Making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and the people praise him, and they are right to do so. He is entering Jerusalem to fulfill his mission. He is entering Jerusalem to fulfill his mission of redemption. And how is this redeeming work going to be accomplished? He's going to shed his blood on the cross. Jesus is going to defeat sin and death itself. How? By bearing sin upon himself. By taking death upon himself. So that the death that his people deserve, they could be liberated from. They could have true liberation. They could be truly set free by their sins being taken off of themselves, given to Christ. This man who never sinned, did no wrong, lived the righteous life we all should have lived. This man, we talk about unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. Jesus lived it. He did it. He did not deserve wrath from God because he rebelled against him. He, as fully man, praised God with his everything. And what does he get? Judgment. Penalty. Punishment. For whose? Not his own. Those who are his. He purchases. He, he receives this upon himself so that he could redeem a people for himself. He's going to stand in for their sin and take their deserved death upon himself. The Savior defeats death by dying. So why should you join in on this unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise? Because God created everything. We rebelled. And he, in his undeserved mercy and grace, redeems sinners so that they can be restored to right fellowship with him. Not through work of their own. By his grace. By his love. By his mercy. By his action. He does this. So that we, who have failed in the first way to give him praise as creators can repent look to Christ and be forgiven be redeemed be reconciled that is deserving of unadulterated unreserved all consuming praise what incredible love this is that God has for sinners like us and the third reason why God is deserving of our unadulterated unreserved and all consuming praise is because He will one day finally renew all things. He created all things. We rebelled. He redeems. And He will renew. He will renew. Going on in Colossians, says that, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This entrance into Jerusalem is a foretaste of the celebration that is to come. This is not the, the Palm Sunday thing that we remember. It is not the final celebration. It is not the final rejoicing. Our rejoicing today, if we will enter into it, is not even the final rejoicing. It's not, if you this morning join in this celebration, it is not the final rejoicing. One day, Revelation 21 tells us this. <clears throat> a new Jerusalem will descend from heaven. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. You can look it up when you get home if you want to. 
But it tells us of this new Jerusalem that will descend from heaven. And this will be a new city that Christ will not enter into by the shouts of praises, but He will fill this city with His praise because His glory will be the light by which the nations who are there live by. Unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise on that day will just be the air we breathe. won't be anything to even try to think about. It will just be the oxygen of life, unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise. Why do we join in this praise? Because, because of this renewing that God is going to do. No matter what path life takes you down, no matter what paths in this life you are taken down, you can be confident that if you are Christ, it is a path that leads you to this eternal city. No matter what path it is, and paths come with, we could have testimony, paths come with lots of potholes, lots of obstacles, crashes, twists, turns. If you are Christ, knowing that He created all things We broke it. He redeems it. Knowing that He will renew it. If you are Christ, you can be confident that no matter what path this life takes you down, if you are Christ's, it is a path that leads to this new city. It is a path that leads to a final renewal of all things. Because you can rejoice in this because no matter what doors are shut for you here in this life, no matter what Answers to prayer that you get are no, no, not this way, or no, this is not the answer, no, this is, this is denied. No matter how many requests that you get denied in this life, if your names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the door to the eternal city will never be closed for you. Never be closed. No matter what the path is in this life, no matter what doors you find closed that you'd like to go through, but the answer is no and you've got to stay where you are, no matter how many doors you find closed, if you are Christ, if you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if you have placed your faith in Christ, the door to that eternal city will never be closed to you. Where you will know the fullness of His joy, where you will know the fullness of this unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise, and it will be your joy. Palm Sunday is a moment in history in which the right and true praise that is due to God was given. It was the praise that God is due everywhere at all times, which leaves us with this simple question. Will we join the song? Will we join the song of praise? Will we join the joy of singing praises to the God who is due all praise? It's no small thing that they undertook outside of Jerusalem. And it's no small thing we undertake when we gather here together on a Sunday morning. Christ will be praised. Will He be praised here when we gather? Will Christ be praised with your life? About one thing, there is no question. He deserves it. He created all things. We rebelled and broke it. He redeems all things. One day He will finally renew all things for those who are His. He deserves it. The question is, will He receive it from you? Can I just end with pleading? Will you join in the song today? Will you join in singing this God with an all-consuming, all-unadulterated, unreserved, all-consuming praise because 
He deserves it. See God in all of His many mercies to you today. Christ is marching on. Christ is in, The city is on its way. There is a renewal coming. Christ is bringing it. And the question is, will you join in the song? Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord in the heights. See Him in His creating work, His redeeming work, and His promised renewing work. See Him. Repent. Trust in Him and rejoice because He is worthy. Let's pray. Father, help us in this place this morning to humbly come before You, confessing, You deserve all the praise. I have fallen short. Yet through Your Son, You offer a redemption. You secure a redemption for those who will put their faith and turn their eyes to You so that their rejoicing would be authentic and real in the knowledge of a final renewal when Christ will return and make all things new. God, may that joy, that hope, well up and bring to life our hearts in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.